And the fox. Midsummer maniacs, and we are through the holidays. No, we're not. Yeah, we. Oh no, no, no we're not. We're like one foot in. Yeah, we, we survived Thanksgiving. We survived Thanksgiving. <laughs> Sarah made turkey, and it was delicious. I made a twenty-five pound turkey for five people. <laughs> it, it was gargantuan. It's it's the way of our house because we have the triplets here. We're always cooking large meals. We have ravenous teenagers who are bottomless pits um, who will eat tons and tons of food, but not what you make. Yes. <laughs> they're also in the phase now where they're like, I wish to eat 14 minutes different time than you. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll make a complete meal that is totally different from what you cooked. Just after you made it. Really, their goal is just to dirty as many dishes as possible. Which is all okay, because totally. I certainly was that way. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Midsummer Maniacs. It's a recap podcast dedicated to the ITV series Midsummer Murders. Each week, we dig into an episode of the show, including the murders, the mayhem, the loonies. This episode has some loonies. <laughs> and everything else we love. When we say loonies, we are not... Talking about people with mental issues, you know, with mental health challenges. We're talking about people. Though there is some problematic portrayal of those individuals <laughs> in this episode. We're talking about people who are unstable in ways that are not in real reality. Like your neighbor's unstable. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? Uh, Brackenreed and Murdoch calls them happy dafties. Happy daft. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> Uh, just announcements off the top. We are still selling merch like it's on fire Yay! for direct relief. So please, if you have uh, waited for your purchase to help out direct relief, time is now to yeah. be doing that. And, you know, if, if you um, plan on gifting someone you love the insight of how awesome Midsummer Murders is. Between yes. now and Christmas, you could surprise them. Yes. With some swag. Some Midsummer murders. Indoctrinate them into the joy that is Midsummer. Some uh, Midsummer Maniacs merchandise. Yes. And again, all the money is going to direct relief. Yes. Which is fantastic. And one of, uh, we got an email this week from a, a lovely woman named Julie who uh, bought a whole bunch of stuff. Thanks, and- Julie. Again, this same narrative of I felt alone, but now I am with my maniacs. Yeah, Julie's like me. She grew up on a bunch of Anglophile TV. You know, like I grew up on PBS. I think I watched more British TV as a kid than I did American TV. I just thought that that was the accent that fancy people had. When I was a child, <laughs> if it was English, it was good. It was better. It was better. <laughs> I still kind of feel that way. Yep. Proud to be an American, but, you know, British people are just a little bit better, I think, maybe, sometimes. <laughs> we, also, we, we also got mentioned in a tweet from uh, Filk, who is the uh, Sherlockian host. We've mentioned her before. Uh, 
with uh, some very esteemed company as her favorite podcast. Yeah. So including Answer Me This, Helen and Ollie's podcast, which we have loved for a long time. So tell us about Answer Me This. Um, so Helen and Ollie, she, she's a, um, Helen is academically trained as an, a linguist, like an etymologist. Yeah, I think so yeah. And you know, he's the, the comedian kind of TV host, but they are so fun together. They're really good. And they just take questions from the audience that are super crazy and they answer the questions. We've listened to them for a long, a long, long time. time. Yeah. Yep. And they've both gone on to do other things and. They come back and do that podcast and then they go off and do other things. It's really good. Also among her favorites are the Drunk Woman Solving Crime podcast. (laughs) Okay. It's a true crime podcast hosted uh, by a number of uh, drunk women. Hey. Another podcast she mentions is all about Agatha, which is an Agatha Christie podcast. Mm -hmm. And Rex Factor, which is a fun history podcast revealing every king and queen queen. Of England and Scotland. Yeah. So. A history one. There's some loonies in that podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So thanks for that mention. We appreciate it. And we're flattered to be in that list. Yes, absolutely. So episode 66, Talking to the Dead. Season 11, episode 7. This is your favorite episode. It is. Now, there's a mystery about this episode that we've not been able to solve. So if anybody out there knows the answer to this, please let us know. Why does Costin have such a crap radio station? No, that's not the question. It's that this was aired out of order. It was aired way out of order. Way out of order. So it was filmed in March and April of 2008 and not broadcast to the 5th of May 2010, which is after series 12. Yeah. So it's two years they kept this on the shelf. Yep. And then aired it. And we cannot find out why that is the case. We've I looked tried. All over the place. We've sent emails to people. We've got no response. Um, there's a few things in the episode that we thought maybe things had to be refilmed or, you know, something like that that may have delayed it. But, but yeah, but we don't know. But that's not why it's my favorite. No. This is my favorite episode of Midsummer because it is quintessential Tom Barnaby. Oh boy, Tom is at the top of his game here. He is completely obsessed with the case to the point of the detriment of other things. He's totally absorbed. He ribs Jones in all kinds of fun ways, including accidentally closing him in a Iron Maiden. Um, you just shut the door. <laughs> he's utterly cynical about everything. It's just. It's it's Tom at his best. Plus, I love the cold opening of this episode. The two houses, two couples who both have cottages on the same estate have disappeared mid breakfast. Like the tea is still hot. Yeah. And they're gone. It's a great mystery. Great mystery. And you're right just hooked immediately. You're like, yeah. okay, I need to know. I need to know what happened to these people. Yep. Now, I will say the solution to that question is kind of a let down. It's yeah. it's not. It's like a magic trick. You know, you don't really want to know what the solution is because it kind of ruins it. But the setup is awesome. I yeah, love it. definitely. Uh, so this episode was directed by Sarah Hellings, who's directed a couple of them, and written by David Lawrence. Bo so, Clayton. What kind of name is that for a place? I don't know. And the Monk Spartan. The the pub is Monks. Retreat. 
Wouldn't, now, I used wouldn't to, it be monks run away screaming? W- <laughs> when we get to the pub, I have, I, oh my gosh, I deep dived on that pub sign. <laughs> wow. Boy, did I deep dive on that pub sign. And also, we learned that Costin's uh, FM radio station is 86.6. Before we go too far, radio not that I think we best. need to say it, but if your kids can handle the show they can handle the podcast yeah this is so the the mystery for me for this episode is i am absolutely i was and i'm always convinced that no one dies in this episode (laughs) and then death 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 it's completely (laughs) wrong because monks barton is littered with corpses quite literally (laughs) one that even sits up all by itself They're all over the place. So I'm not really sure why I think that. I think I think that because I know the answer to the cold open is not as exciting as I think it is. Mm. And I think, oh, it's another episode where nobody dies. But lots of people die. Oh, yeah. There is death all over the place. So we've got the Goodfellows, who are Stan and Nesta, and the Thomases, Colin and Molly. And these are the two family, the two couples who have disappeared mid-breakfast. And the Royal Mail finds them. Yes. the Old um, Sam Nels. Well, he's not really old, but, whoa, he's a bit of a goer. Uh, he, he is, Sam Nelms is the super fantastic BMX postman. He sure can ride a mountain bike. Boy, he can. I'm, and, I was expecting him to Vickers do a little ride. ollie in a, oh. I was expecting him to do a little like Ollie and like Papa Wheelie or something while he's jumping over the road to get away from the cops. So the the setup is he comes in and finds these houses like this. Right. He's delivering mail and nobody's there. And because I'm a maniac, I have two obsessions in this scene. Okay. The first one is the envelope because it is clearly labeled to the Goodfellows. Yes. Not Smith. <laughs> Which we will get to. Second of all, there is an animal entrance in the door. Like a doggy door? Like a doggy door. Okay. Where is that animal? I don't know. And And, nobody wonders. And as a copper, I would be like, where's the animal? Yeah. Like, did they take their cat with them? Like, especially if it was a dog? Yeah. A dog, especially. A cat who's an outside cat on a big estate like that, you might not wonder about too much. Because they're going to find their own way. They're going to be fine. Yeah. But a dog is a different story. So Tom arrives, and there is a million Sako people here and dudes with white sticks, and they have found a single drop of blood. <laughs> this is a bit overkill. Never mind that they first they first say that it's not human blood because there are two pheasants hanging in the corner of the kitchen just willy-nilly dripping blood and gore everywhere. <laughs> Like, who does that? Uh, hang the bloody birds over in the corner. They can just drip on the floor just over drip there. drip on the floor. I'll clean it up later. Yeah. And George is familiar with one of the families because it's not even a red herring. It's like a red minnow, a red sardine. One of the couples, the, um, the Thomases, uh, lost a son years ago who was... He was little. He was like nine or 11 or something like that. And he falls down a well and then... No, he, he no, that's back. a different episode. Oh. That's different. No, they get in a little argument. He runs off and he dies of hypothermia in the woods. Why is that there? I don't know. It's not important at all. Has no ramifications at all. 
Speaking of things that are not important right off the bat, we have the Reverend Wallace Stone. You mean Brimstone. 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 Played by Anton Lesser, who was also in Birds of Prey as the egg collector. And he plays uh, Superintendent Bright in Endeavor. He was in Game of Thrones. Yep. Yeah, he's all over the place. He's fantastic. He's a very good actor. He's 56 with a full head of hair. And yeah. man, is he nasty. Oh. Oh, I hate the way he treats his wife. The fact that his wife, Sarah, is having an affair with BMX Postman, I'm so happy for her. Because he, Stone, is a miserable son okay. of a gun. Sam Nelms is a thief. Yes. A layabout. Yes. Can't keep a job. No. But defends her. Yeah. And I like him because of it. Yeah. I think he actually likes her, loves her, cares think, about her. I think so. For sure. There's no one at the Priory because it's owned by the best named character in the entire episode. Linton Pargita. Pargita. Mr. Snobby Sobroke. <laughs> <laughs> he breezes back into town. Speaking of red herrings, <laughs> there's this entire red herring about the disillusionment of the monasteries and dead monks. That's why the woods are so haunted. Ooh. So one of our theories about why this episode may have been changed in terms of time is because those scenes of the monks don't look anything like the rest of the filming. Mm-hmm. So they may have had to be redone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you might also notice another kind of hint to me that maybe they had to refilm some stuff is when they go see Sam Nelms at his house. Yeah. There are daffodils blooming right at the base of the fence. Yeah. And across the street and like clearly not stuck there by. The house where Cully's friend lives. Yes. Her friend who tries to who tries to drown her. That, oh, that friend, okay. quote friend. Same house. Same house. He lives in her house. Anyway, there are daffodils there. And you see them elsewhere in the village in the same set of scenes there. Yeah. But in the woods, it's very autumnal. There's lots of leaves yes. on the ground. The trees are, you know, kind of bare. It looks more fall. There's some, So I think they may have shot some scenes later and there, had to edit them. There's in. some reshooting, I think. Yeah. So these woods are haunted by the ghosts of murdered monks who were killed during the dissolution of the monasteries, which was Henry VIII's whole, I'm going to start my own church so I can sleep with who I want, move. And so the first wave of the dissolution of the monasteries, they went through and cleared out all the little ones, right? Yeah. And they said... Look, monks, you can either go because to Because they had a lot of power. The monks had a lot of power at this point in time because they own land. Right. And they, so if they were like a small monastery, they owned the land around it and they basically controlled the economy of that area. And so Henry said, look, you can, we're going to take your monastery, probably destroy it and take all the wealth associated with it. And your choice is to either take a pension, basically become a farmer or whatever, or you can move to one of the bigger monasteries oh. so we can concentrate you, right? Okay. That was kind of the first wave. Run down and hack you with swords? Well, no, that was later. Oh. Okay, okay. Right? Because then later, the monks start to kind of rebel and start to hide some of their assets and okay. get some help doing that from Catholics, Catholic lords and, and stuff in the And this is areas. how we get priest holes. And this is how we get priest holes, but it's also how we get these stories of monks being butchered in the woods. Yes. By Henry's ruthless armies. 
But this this trope is so out there. I mean, we this is not the only story where we've seen like we totally accept that this monks happens. being persecuted These like poor this monks during this time by evil Henry's henchmen. But really, the whole story is much later than that. It it really you can ascribe that whole thing to Anne Radcliffe in like the 1790s. Okay. She goes to Furnace Abbey. Okay. And has this moment. She's a writer in okay. Radcliffe. She has this moment where she imagines what it must have been like. Because Furnace Abbey is one of the big abbeys that's in ruins. In Gothic. 1790? Yeah. Gothic. Not 1890? 1790. Oh, so she's a contemporary of Wollstonecraft. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so she writes this story about this, uh, this monastery with these monk ghosts in the grounds and that's where we get kind of like that's the original kind of fictionalized detailed version of this ghost story and then oh what do you know it, it actually happens all these other places my favorite thing about this is when i was looking into this is i found a bunch of good stuff on englishheritage.org.uk yeah a reputable site yes right government site they actually say that so she she imagined this ghostly procession of monks at Furnace Abbey. And then, and I quote, though they are not haunted in any real or actual terms. Actually. The ruins serve as a imaginary theater for the story. I'm glad that they pointed that out. Yeah. That they had to say, it's not like real <laughs> ghosts. So don't worry about that. Real ghosts are a completely different thing. That's totally different. Okay. And they're not at Furnace Abbey. They're other places or something. So this is all explained to us by Brimstone. Yes. And I'm not listening to a single thing because on his wall he has In God We Trust. And I'm way <laughs> off into In God We Trust. Okay. We've If you're looked. in the U.S., you know In God We Trust because it's on our money. We've looked up some things that have questionable Google searches in them, right? Even for this episode. Even for this episode. The problem with In God We Trust is there is an argument about it that I don't care about at all, whether it's not on the American money or not. I I wanted to know where the origin of that phrase was because it seems like an American phrase rather than a UK phrase. We would certainly think of it as an American phrase. Because it's on our money. Yes. And it's on a lot of our government buildings, even though there's supposed to be the separation, which is what the argument is all about. And whether you not you like that or not, I saw your websites in the list and I had no interest in them. <laughs> That's not what you were looking for. You're looking for the origin of the phrase, right? And it was added to the money in the Civil War in the United States. And in typical American fashion. Well, to be fair, though, before the Civil War, people just made money. Yes. Like banks just print their own money. Yes. So. In typical American fashion, there's no history before the Americans. Like. No. No. History starts with us. Yes. So so the earliest reference I could find was in a listing that led an early, early version of the national anthem before it was even called Star Spangled Banner. Mm -hmm. Like there is. In, in Francis Scott Key. Francis Scott Scott Key has a line about "In God We Trust," which, from what I read, is there just because it rhymes with what he wants to, to rhyme with. I don't think it re- not covered with rust. In God We Trust. No, he, I need something else that rhymes with rust. It mm. gets cut out of the anthem pretty quickly. <laughs> 
Like, this is super early draft. Go big or bust, in God we trust. I'm just trying to think of what the phrase was that he was trying to rhyme with now. So then I searched Don't the- be overwhelmed by lust, in God we trust. <laughs> so then I searched the Bible, because maybe it's from the Bible. No. It's not from the Bible. I have no idea why he has it in there. I have no idea he, why he's such a fire and brimstone preacher. He has it because it's embroidery that mentions God. That's the thing that he seems to like I around guess, the place. I guess so. That and one- ginormous painting never mind the fact that his lineage is really in question <laughs> if he's an anglican priest what is he doing quoting latin he because wants the number to be thing, catholic really bad number one thing about being catholic being anglican is you're not catholic right we do everything the same but we're not catholic that's right so no latin no Latin. So you're not going to go out and perform an exorcism in the woods speaking Latin. And then he says two of my favorite lines from this episode, because they are said as unironically as I sold from the last episode yes. saying we have to be practical about this. Right. <laughs> he says, there's no place for superstition in my religion. <laughs> and have some communion. They... They literally give you a beat after that. Yeah. So you can go, hee hee hee. I'm surprised says, Tom doesn't look at the camera and wink. <laughs> and then he says, simple minds can be ensnared. Uh huh. Country people. <laughs> Country people. Yeah. He would prefer to be a big city vicar. I don't see why I'm spurned for my belief. Later, he even goes and stands on a bench in the in the village square and is like preaching to the masses. Yeah. He's he's in the wrong place and at the wrong time. And he he is meant to be like two hundred years before this. If <laughs> I learned been. anything from the Anglican Church, it was church is on Sunday. Yes, and we do not talk about it the rest of the time. Yes. <laughs> so they found a house with missing people in it. Yes. And they have a giant cop shop board already for this. Well, there's already another house with missing people, too. Yes. There's, so there's two, two houses, houses with missing people. So but we they get have a giant cop shop board for it. We get Stone, and then we get Stone's inverse with yes. Cyrus Lavenue. Yes. Who is played by Joran Krabbe, who's yes. Dutch. He's Dutch. Because Which his I was accent to find is kind of weird in this yeah, episode. Yeah, because I thought he was British and putting that accent on, like, is so inconsistent. The circle of the Phoenix. Of the Phoenix, <laughs> yeah. He sounds no. a little Swedish chef there. For a little bit, and then he sounds a little German, and that makes perfect sense if you're Dutch. Mm-hmm. Right? That is, if we want to stereotype a Dutch accent, that's that's where it would fall. When you're speaking English, but he he is the the flip side of the coin from Stone, right? He's the spiritualist occultist. He wears the the, the num- crystal. The number one psychic in Britain. Yeah, that's what the sign says. Number one. Number. There was a contest. He won it. <laughs> was there a countdown? I guess. <laughs> the other one was that strange lady from the second episode where she was like i'm on fire oh yeah with the little girl yep. who's her medium sorrow 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 so he's he is in bo clayton because it is what the 200 300 400 whatever anniversary of the dissolution of the monastery that's he's the only person who knows this this town doesn't put up anything for it 
the crazy brimstone preacher doesn't mention it. Why is it even there? Because it's a reason for him to come to town and sit on a stick. Okay. <laughs> He's out in the woods with this weird group of people. We don't know where they've come from, whether they're locals or they follow him around the country or whatever, but they're there. And what do you know? Joyce went to see him do a talk the night before. Well, of course Joyce went to see him. Yeah, yeah. Because Joyce knows about current events, cultural events. She gets the calendar yes. of all the stuff, and she's there. It's not an episode Joel Joyce finds a body. At the very end. So at the cop shop with this board, we have a Nesta problem. So the Nesta pic- Goodfellow. The pictures we have are Colin in a pub. Mm-hmm. Uh, Molly in a candid kind of shot. And just to kind of put this in context, because these people are missing, these are not mug shots. These are not photos taken by the police. These are photos they must have found in their homes, right? So these are candid photos that they had displayed in their homes. Stanley, the crazy man, mm-hmm. who's the killer, yes. by the way, in like a pub. Right. And Nesta is on Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's supposed to be in an evening gown at like a fancy do, but it is the most out of place picture. original Star Trek kind of evening gown I have ever seen. Like, like it stands up behind her head and she's got like a beehive going. Kirk needs to be romancing that alien Nesta. If her skin was green, it would look totally normal yep. in that photo. <laughs> but, you know, she's kind of a goer. So... Yeah, so here, so there's two problematic parts of this episode with our WPC. The first part is here, she's a bit of a goer, she says, and then is kind of like, affairs are just usual when you get married. Just the normal affairs, you know. No, I think she's from around there, so it's like, you know, the small village type things that go on. That's Nesta. Is Nesta short for something? I couldn't find I a name that it's short that for. I keep thinking that she's Nestor, the way Cheetah is Cheetah. See, I think of, I, when I hear Nesta, I think of Nesca, like Nescafe. Yeah. <laughs> it's a weird name. It is a weird name. Nesta is how it's in the magazine and how it appears in the credits and mm-hmm. how it appears on IMDb. So mm-hmm. it's Nesta. Yep. So that's the first thir- first thing that we have with WPC Gail Stevens. Yes. And then Jones says, hey, do you want to go for a drink after work and just like talk? I think he wants to kind of collaborate about the case, like put their heads together and see if they can like figure some stuff out. Yeah. But in, to be helpful or what, to get ahead a little bit. Like she's immediately like, yes. yeah, drink. I thought you'd never ask. And how many times do they set up that drink? Three times. Yep. Before well, Jones finally goes, look, I think you got the wrong idea about this drink. Oh, she's like, oh, I don't have we'll, the wrong idea. We'll get into that scene. <laughs> the Goodfellows have a television. <laughs> My gosh, Jones almost licks it. I know. He's like, whoa, look at that fancy TV. On a laborer's wage. Well, you know, they are their tenant laborers. That's what Pargeter calls them. <laughs> Where are my tenant laborers? Then there's a weird thing here that happens that gives us another clue to why this episode might be delayed. We see the White Stick Brigade going through the forest. Mm -hmm. And then we have a still shot for four seconds. Of what? Just a field. Camera's not moving. Nothing. And it doesn't show anything. It doesn't set up anything. It's a really weird shot. They just need four seconds of footage. And so they just stuck it in. Okay. An episode has to be a certain amount right. of time. Yeah. And so they 
they may have just extended that shot just the tiniest little bit. Because the four seconds is like that's that's a long time. That's it almost a hundred like frames, time, but that's a long yep. time. Yep. Jones is worried about werewolves. <laughs> well, then they go they go to Pargeter's house, right? Because the the tenant laborers may be at the big house, and they just walk in. No, they get the keys. Oh, that's right. They get the keys. They have the keys, so they go in to check things out, and Pargeter, Lord of the Manor. Has, has a torture device in his all these front antiques, room. and right inside the front door, he has an Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden, the band? No. Oh, but that would have been fun if they were just standing there <laughs> <laughs> in their leather and everything. <laughs> no, he's got an Iron Maiden, and among the many, there's several examples in this episode of things that are misleading, historically misleading. Iron Maidens are one of them. Yes. Everybody thinks they're medieval torture devices. They weren't. The closest um, thing I found that was medieval was a barrel type thing that you wore on you. Yes. Okay. Iron Maidens were really in the early 1800s. Yes. But they were constructed in a medieval style, right? To make them look more intimidating. And they were not actual torture devices. They were decorations in people's houses. Well, no, there were some that were torture devices, oh, but they were. weren't meant to impale you. Okay. It was a capture device. Like... It was an interrogation device. Okay. So the spikes were there so that you couldn't relax. Okay. And the um, the way you can tell one that was actually used for interrogations is the, the face will be mostly open so they can talk to you, so they can ask you questions. I understand that. Right? Yeah. But even then, we're talking about like there were maybe two or three of them. Yes. Okay? But... They're probably a misinterpretation of this this German thing that you're talking about called the Schandmantel, which is the coat of shame. Yes. Which is where we get people wearing barrels. Yes. Like when you see somebody who's naked except for a barrel, that's a reference to the Schandmantel, which is this thing that they would put on prostitutes, drunkards, anybody who would apparently benefit from some public humiliation. Yes. There were no spikes inside of it, but nope. it was heavy and you had to wear it out in public, like on the public square yes. for hours. And it was usually made of wood, not yeah. metal. But they were heavy. But the other thing that they may be a reference to is this thing that um, Polybius wrote about in 100 BC. He was talking about this tyrant from Sparta named Nabus, mm-hmm. who, according to the myth, had a robot he built this torture robot to look just like his wife. Okay. But it was about seven feet tall and made of metal. Okay. Are you with me? Yeah. Okay. He would bring somebody to his court who had done something wrong. He wanted to interrogate. And then he would, if they wouldn't talk, he would call up a pega. That was his wife's name. A pega. And apparently a pega was able, robot a pega was able to stand up from a chair walk towards somebody with her arms outstretched. Now, she had spikes on the inside of her arms and all over her boobs. Spike, spike, spike. Spiky boobs. And she would hug you tighter and tighter and tighter. The hug of death. Unless you talked. (laughs) So she was the original Iron Maiden. Not a maiden because she was his wife. Yeah. But... There's, this is not the only version of this story, but it's the original version of the story. That's exciting. But I got something even better for you. Okay. Okay, are you ready for this? Lay it on me. 
the most famous Iron Maiden in existence right now, and the one that this one in the episode is patterned after, complete with the weird boobs that seem to be like at her armpit level. Okay, the person who made those boobs has never actually seen real boobs. No, the person who made the original Iron Maiden that this is patterned after had never seen real boobs. Okay. Because it looks exactly like the one that is currently at Chillingham Castle in the UK. Now, the reason why we're interested in Chillingham Castle is because it's owned by Sir Humphrey Wakefield. Now, you have seen Sir Humphrey Wakefield because he was in an episode of like, what's it called? Like save, saving this country estate. Yes. Where they go and talk to these weird noble people who own these big country estates who are broke. So. And help them like create businesses around their estates so they can stay afloat. Yes. And he's this super eccentric, strange man. And he has monetized his estate by creating a torture museum. Okay. And has an Iron Maiden, amongst other things, like a laundry mangle that he claims is a torture device. Oh. You know what a laundry mangle is? It has the two rollers and you put the the clothes and it squeezes the water out of them. Yeah. Yeah. But even more interesting and very timely, because we've just learned about this thing, is that Sir Humphrey Wakefield is the father-in-law of Dominic Cummings, who until about a week ago was the chief advisor to Boris Johnson, but got fired and left in shame, left checkers in shame with all of his stuff in a box. Oh my gosh, it's all connected. I know. And if we mention the vice president's residence now, we're gone too low. (laughs) Do you think this is it? They brought it in for this? I don't think it's the real one. I think they recreated it. I think it's probably plexiglass or something. Like fiberglass. Yeah. Something like that. And then they added folio to it to make it go. So Jones. is And this mechanical thing that Tom shows about the spikes coming out. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't find a single record of any Iron Maiden ever having spikes that came out. Well, no. They either killed you when they closed or the spikes were just long enough that you couldn't relax. No medieval guy's going to create that thing with all those gears. No. It's just not going to happen. Well, and they weren't medieval anyway. Yes. Anyway, Jones gets cotted. <laughs> you slammed the door. Did you think this was much later in the episode? No. Oh. I love this little bit of slapstick. Tom just breezes by and just shoves the door closed. <laughs> and Jones is in it. And <laughs> it's just flabbergasted. It's like, you just, you, you slammed the door. You, you just slam the door. <laughs> he says it at least twice, if and, not more. And then Tom goes, oh, you're okay. Yeah. Otherwise, you'd be dead. And then he goes. <laughs> yeah. He points his eye, his fingers at his eyes to imply that there were two spikes that would have gone right through his face, right into his eye sockets. Like, ah, you're all right. Get over it. <laughs> Where are my tenant workers? <laughs> tenant laborers. Okay. We get to the root of the problem of the episode here. Tom gets Indian takeaway, and I'm jealous. He gets chicken jalfrezi. Yes. Because Joyce was too busy to cook. Yes, please. (laughs) Yes, thank God. They talk about Cyrus here, and they call him a ghostbuster. Ghost hunter. No, no. What is he called? The ghostbuster? No, no, no. Ghost hunter. So that may be another reason why the episode was delayed. I don't think so. I think you can say ghostbuster. 
Uh, I don't think you could probably say that on a national television show. You think they had to get clearance for yep, it? I think they would have cut it if that was the case. I think so, too. They wouldn't have had to say it. Boy, there are a lot of shots of creepy trees in this episode. <laughs> yeah, creaking trees in the wind. And the the world's busiest woodpeckers. Oh, yes. And the fox. Yeah. <laughs> Unquiet speakers. If you hear a child crying in the woods, it's just a fox. Boy Cyrus has a big old uh crystal that he wears around his neck he does but what i'm most impressed by is the lackey that he has following along behind him who carries his cane seat don't don't you have one of those it's a hunting stick yes the hunting stick that you fold out to make the world's most uncomfortable butt squeezing chair every time i see that i think of poirot, poirot. in the hunting lodge yes. episode. but when he sticks it in the ground he can't get it back out because it's stuck in a corpse of a very important character that we've been introduced to. All. No. Oh. Somebody we've known nothing about. And we never see get killed, and we never know why he's killed. Not really. He's in on the antique stealing. That's all we really know. With the worst criminals in the world, so. And why his, his partner, who drives the stolen Chevy throughout the whole episode, doesn't notice that he's been killed, I don't know. Because he's... So the... The dead guy is Terry Lowther. Yes. And he's one of the big city guys who's helping them fence all these antiques that they're stealing from Pargeter and Pargeter's stealing from other people. And nobody seems to care that he's dead. So we get seen of the crime. WPC Gale doesn't know who it is because she was there for the original case too, like George. Mm -hmm. But Cyrus says he was drawn to him. Yes, I was drawn to his body. <laughs> Tom is like, uh, go away. Yeah. <laughs> Out of the woods right now. And he's like, no, I'm here and I get to be here. And then later they are inside the police tape. And oh he's just gosh. like, I'm like, no, you, you cannot be inside the police. Tape. Tom is not having it. But George snorts here. I know. <laughs> he's like. <laughs> Cyrus has the run of the woods because. Pagiter allows it. Now, we know this now because Pagiter... Pargeter. Pargeter. Yeah. Is, this doesn't make any sense, right? Pargeter is haunting his own woods to keep people away so that they don't see him stealing antiques and fencing them. Yet... That's he, all done at the house. But yet he lets Cyrus Lavenue bring his gang into the woods and does things, you know, these like, ooh, spooky sounds make people want to come there yeah it's scooby-doo where is scooby-doo where is scooby-doo yes at this point in time we need a scooby-doo he's a gifted psychic well then we have the main street dog collar showdown where stone and lavenue fight it out outside of paranorma <laughs> the occult store in town you know, I would be more incredulous about this, but I have visited Glastonbury and been in their paranormal stores. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm sure there's more crystal stores and grocery stores and there. And I can remember being like, this is like real. <laughs> yeah. Like there are people who are seriously into this, but it ain't stone because he goes up and rips the flyer right out of the window. He pushes the poor woman out of the way. Yeah. Who I can only assume is Paranorma. <laughs> That's Norma. He pushes Paranorma out of the way 
and then rips up stuff. Like, he does a crime. He vandalizes her store. It's not a major crime. It's private property, though. private property. And then he goes out, and he yells at LaVenue and escalates quickly. Oh, yeah. Because he goes, charlatan. Uh Okay, which we... Tom's going to okay that. Yeah. And then he says... Antichrist. <laughs> like, wow. It's like bad breath, murderer. <laughs> Whoa, wait a minute. And again, it's like, okay, Anglicans don't talk about the, the Antichrist. Stuff. <laughs> We're all about God being happy and loving and, and the stuff. WI. Right? Yeah. You know, not make a cake shouting Antichrist in. <laughs> latin on the street the power of christ compels you and then he slaps the flyers out of his hand you unscrupulous montabank <laughs> wow <laughs> he's putting on a show and sarah is behind him going i don't know him i don't know who he i i, I don't know that man i'm gonna walk away i'm just gonna like sidle sideways right out of this scene so that nobody knows that i'm with him so now we go to the postman's house and we hear the laughing. <laughs> and we find out that the postman's ringing twice mm-hmm. on the Stone's wife, Sarah. Stone's wife, Sarah. The vicar's and I, wife. I love how they do it. At no point in time do any of the men go, oh my gosh, it's the vicar's wife. No. Nope. They all recognize her. And they, respect her privacy. Yep. Yeah. And respect her privacy. And I think they all are like, okay, we Good understand. for you because he's horrible. Yeah. Because Tom and Jones have seen him just go, Sarah, and then stand there with his arms out waiting for her to put his jacket on yeah, him, and then dismiss her with a wave of his hand. Just want to sock him one. Do I he, look simple? But he really cares for Sarah here. Yeah, he says, I think he does. He says she's a special lady. No, he says she's a speciality act, <laughs> which I think is his version of she's special. She's one of a kind. Okay. We go to John Temple's antiques, and I want to nominate John Temple as the most useless criminal there ever is. So the idea is that they're getting stuff in fr- England and France mm-hmm. and bringing it here. Mm-hmm. And he is selling it to John Temple, who knows they're illegal. Mm-hmm. Okay. John Temple is like, uh, it was Mrs. Smith who showed me the Netsuki. Netsuki. Yes. Nelms is delivering a package to the Goodfellows when he realizes they're gone. Addressed to Mrs. Smith. No. no. Addressed no. to Goodfellows. Because everything is five minutes away. Why do you have to send it <laughs> through the mail? And inside the package is a Natsuki, right? Yeah. Just this Japanese figurine. And supposedly, Mrs. Goodfellow, Nesta, in her space outfit, sent it. To Temple to have it valued. No, she dropped it off. She dropped it off to have and it valued. He was going to send it back because he couldn't get in his freaking car and drive five minutes. To and them. he says that the person who brought it in was named Mrs. Smith, though he addressed the envelope to Mrs. Goodfellow. Clearly, he knew exactly who it was. Yes. And says it's worth about 80 bucks. But was it stolen from Pargeter or not? What? What Pargeter owns, what is stolen, how it is fenced is all Scooby-Doo through this whole episode. Yes. The Netsukis, though, do you know what they were used for in Japan? Aren't they just like little 
baubles that you kept around you? No, they're not. They're not tchotchkes. They actually have a purpose. So kimonos don't have pockets, right? Okay. So you would wear a pouch and it would be, it would have a cord at the top, like a drawstring cord. And then that cord would be draped over your obi, which is the wide fabric belt they wore with kimonos. And this is men and women wearing kimonos. Yes. And the Natsuki would go on the other end of the cord to provide weight to balance oh, out the that's bag. Neat. And it and they were decorative, right? So yeah. they looked really cool, but they also counterbalanced the weight of your pouch so that it wouldn't slip off of your obi. And they it would make sense for rich Japanese people that they'd be made of ivory. Right. But most of them are not ivory. Most of yeah. them are wood. Yeah. But when I was looking around um, to learn more about them, I found out that there are some that are mechanical, that are clockwork. They're like automaton. Super cool. Natsuki. They're very neat. Like like little walnuts that open all by themselves and have little figures that come out. Or I saw one that looks like like an old person in like a, a hooded cloak. But its head turns to go from a happy face to like an ogre face. Oh, that's super cool. They're really neat. Super cool. Boy, we set up a lot of brazers. So that we can have the circle of the phoenix. Okay. Labanu is in the woods with his crew set in fire right inside the police cordon. Here is where Mark goes off the reservation. They show the monks again. Mm -hmm. And the very first monk they show has red hair. Okay. I think it's Danny Webb. It looks just like Danny Webb. If it's not Danny Webb. I will put a picture in the show notes. You got a screenshot? It looks so much like Danny Webb. It's not funny. Oh, I'm eager to see that because I didn't notice that. Yeah. I know that one of them looks like Mick from Time Team. Yes. Especially when he's upside down. Yep. (laughs) I looked up Circle of the Phoenix to see if it was a real ritual. Da Phoenix. Circle of Da Phoenix. The only reference I could find to it is a really big guild in World of Warcraft. Oh, okay. There's seven braziers there. That's a lot. That's a lot of oil to bring. Yeah, that's not a star then. I don't know what that shape would be if you connected them. So then Barnaby and Jones are at Pagetter's house at the Priory. Mm-hmm. And this black truck drives up really fast in broad daylight. And it's a big truck. And I think it's a Chevy or a Ford. It's not... A vehicle it, you see in the UK all it's that It's a often. big American truck. It's like a suburban. <laughs> Skids to a stop. Er, reverses. <laughs> and spins out at high speed. And like the most suspicious thing ever. When you are driving a stolen vehicle to do nefarious underground antique fencing, do not make yourself stand out by spinning the wheels of said giant vehicle right in front of the cops. Yeah. Unless you want to get caught. They steal that from Chelsea. Did you call that a Chelsea tractor? I guess. Chelsea tractor slang for great big vehicle. Yeah, that, big vehicle. That they drive around in Chelsea. Expensive. Has to be expensive. So then Pagetter finds a body. He finds... Pargeter. Parger. He finds Molly Thomas. Shot in the back while listening to Medea really loud. Yeah. I don't understand why... He brings them back to the house. She escaped and she went back to the house and he follows her there and shoots her. I don't believe that after you're shot from five feet away with a shotgun, basically point blank with a shotgun. I don't think that even 
in the following seconds, you would have the energy to crawl across the floor and turn a radio on. I don't, I just don't think you could do it. I think you, you just drop dead. Yeah. The thing that comes up here that's important is Cyrus is in the woods and he sees that there's a scene of the crime and to himself, he talks about the spirits. He believes his own bullshit. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. He's not putting on an act. He no. believes it. He Whether it's real or not, it. he believes it. Yeah. Absolutely. Then they come across Stanley Goodfellow crying in the woods. Yes. It, well, Mully and Skulder do. <laughs> Skull, sorry. Scully and Mulder. Scully not and Mully and Skulder. <laughs> Scully and Mulder do. What I mean is the... It's the, like an X-Files Barnaby scene. and Jones running through the woods with the flashlights is X-Files. In the fog. Oh, it's yes. total X-Files. So Stanley is in this little shack in the woods, crying his eyes out. He won't speak. He's just gibbering. He is disassociated from reality. Well, mostly Tom has to get over from the vicious owl attack. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know who the animal handler is for this show, but they've got a good owl. That they've owl, used that owl other times. And, and he it's, does the exact same thing. Yes. And he's right on it. It's good at swooping at people's heads. They find this little hut. Would that not be the first place you looked for dead people or missing people? They looked there. Just like they looked in the well, too. But she's there. Like, where is she? She's not in the well yet. Where is she then? No, she's got to be in the well. She's got to be in the well. They looked in the well during the day. Yeah. And she wasn't there yet. Then he puts her in the well, then cries and gets caught. Okay. Did nobody see them? (laughs) I guess not. Not in the foggy woods. Or hear the gunshot? I don't know. Or protect the crime scene? (laughs) All I know is that uh, Stanley's crying sounds exactly like Jeffrey, the French bulldog, having a fit. If you are not a fan of Jeffrey on YouTube, he is a bulldog who is a bit stubborn and spoiled. He's dramatic. (laughs) He's he's extremely dramatic. But you're going to have to put a clip. Of Stanley and Jeffrey side by side. So this is what Stanley sounds like. And this is what Jeffrey sounds like. I think they're pretty much the same yeah, I think thing. they are too. R R R R R R. The community of Saint Catherine of Alexandria. This is the worst home for people with mental disabilities I have ever seen. Their biggest activity is keep away from the crazy people. They just do (laughs) cruel things in the garden. Mary McKay runs this place. She doesn't get a credit. She doesn't get her name in the IMDb. Nothing. This poor woman gets lines. That's not true. Her name is Ann Lambden. Okay. Dr. Mary. She plays Dr. Mary McKay. She's not in the who's who the episode. No, she's not big enough there. She doesn't get killed or anything. But she 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 does. I've even got a horrible movie she's in. Oh, okay. So she's important. But she sounds like she needs to clear her throat. Yes. I'm like, will you just cough? <clears throat> she's like, oh, right. <laughs> I just, just Maybe cough. she sounds like Jeffrey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get across and go into the woods and speak Latin. 
I'm going to march right into the chapel, take the cross off the wall, and march right back out again without noticing that my wife is in there making out with her boyfriend. Yeah, what is he doing? <laughs> He's kneeling in front of He's her. He's hiding, so endeth the lesson. Man, sex in church is a purity test item. Woo! Nelms is fired from the post office because he stole the mail. Yes, he's given garden leave. Gardening leave. Do you know what that is? No, no idea. So garden- Is that what I was doing all summer? No. <laughs> because you get paid while you're on gardening leave. <laughs> I get paid in the summer. <laughs> you did. Gardening leave is when you quit or are fired from a job and you are in a high enough position that should you continue to work, you are a risk- Right. So you have access to confidential information or information about the market. And so they say, okay, we want you to, um, instead of working through the end of your notice, we want you to go on gardening leave. So the only work you can do is in your garden, basically. So you continue to get paid and you get benefits until the, the, the end of your notice. Donnie, it's time for gardening leave. <laughs> <laughs> It's not an old term either. It's um, from like 81. Oh, okay. But now it's it's in some work contracts in the UK that mm. if you leave and you give notice, you will be put on gardening leave. The power of Christ compels you. <laughs> Every time he's walking around with that cross, I'm like, the power of Christ compels you. Well, but then. Did you notice in the pub in that scene that comes up? Well, first of all, it's the middle of the day and the pub is full. Yeah. These people not have jobs. Second of all, there are racks of guns in that pub. Yeah, there are. Like, I was like, that's a lot of hardware in that pub. So Stone is out in the woods. Doing the forest exorcism. Doing the forest exorcism thing. And uh, Colin Thomas's body just sits up. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, don't I love that. Buy that. I love it so much. It's so dope. It's buy. the gases in the body. Yeah, no. I can understand a corpse like burping. Yeah. But not sitting up. No. <laughs> but okay. it's awesome when it does. So we got some Latin here. Exercise you every incursion of the infernal adversary, every legion, every congregation, and diabolical sect. Jesus Christ. <laughs> the power of Christ compels you. Brush your teeth. I adjure you, Satan. <laughs> There's weird lighting here because this is our last reference, I promise, of the weirdness in this episode that may have caused the delay. But there's some day for night, night for day stuff going on. Yeah, it's foggy darkness in the woods, but then uh, Barnaby and Jones are in their car and it's sunny. Yeah. So I think those things were shot out of order for sure. Yeah. And maybe at different times of the year. Does this really happen, uh, George? Oh, yeah, it happens all the time in the morgue. Yeah. (laughs) I'm working away and a corpse is just sit up if they're zombies. So they go back to the Goodfellows house. Mm -hmm. Because now they're looking for some more evidence about where Nesta is. And Jones finds this little airport thing, an airline ticket, a ticket for an airline trip. Yes. Under a board. Under a bedroom floor. And touches it without a stitch. That's okay because it's from Sex Bomb. Sex bomb, ba bomb. That's a Scott Pilgrim reference. Yes. Um. Speaking of Scott Pilgrim references, MX biking. Yes. Nelms is not only a thief, 
um, a philanderer, a guy who can't hold down a job, but he is a super mountain bike rider, stuntman extraordinaire. And like the cops are like, oh, he's 10 feet away. We've lost him. No, he's right there. They try to catch him because they think they can cut him off at the road, but then they they get into a chicken fight with a Land Rover and he just jumps over the hoods well, on they, his magic bike. Yeah, they know exactly who, where he is and they find the stuff. and They're the worst criminals ever. Yeah, because they saw his bike there before. Yeah. They know it's his bike. Then Cyrus has his event mm. that, that Tom and, jo- and Joyce, go, Joyce to. go to, which leads to the one of the best parts of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> They're leaving the event. They stay there two seconds. Well, and yeah, then because then Lavenu passes out and the event's over. I hope people yes. didn't buy tickets to this thing. Didn't last. The number one psychic as seen on TV. Yeah. Says, oh, he's in a dark, she's in a dark place and then passes out. So they leave. And then Tom sees the Suburban and just gets in the car and peels out, just leaving Joyce just standing there. Joyce is completely (laughs) left alone. (laughs) Dumbfounded, like, really? It's never referenced again. (laughs) Joyce may still be there. We don't see Joyce in the rest. Oh, well, we see her in the woods. We see her again. (laughs) Yeah, the next time they go out together, she finds a body. (laughs) She shouldn't want to go anywhere with Tom. So they find out that the SUV is stolen. The way they find that out is the squeakiest marker pen ever. (laughs) They get the tag number off of it and look it up. Yeah. Like, change the plates. If you're going to steal a car and then drive it around a little village, change the plates. So Tom is convinced that this whole woods haunting is malarkey. He's not fooled by it. No. And he says, this is not an ectoplasmic ectoplasmic eruption. Yes. It's radio. Yes. Ectoplasmic eruption is an interesting term for him to use. So what I know of ectoplasmic eruption deals with one of my favorite kind of little things I'm into, which is spirit photography. Mm -hmm. So there are a number of spirit photography examples early in the 19th century of people vomiting up ectoplasm. Right. And they catch it on camera. They catch it on camera. Every one of these pictures is fake. Yeah. It's It's like cotton cotton wool. Cotton wool or something. Fabric. Yeah. You look at them now and you go, that's a lot of snot. Fakety fake. fake." (laughs) Oh, if it was snot, I would be impressed. (laughs) But (laughs) so I, of course, looked up ectoplasmic eruption. I found two citations for ectoplasmic eruption. (laughs) The first one um, is a level six magic spell in an RPG called Pathfinder. Nice. Um, where, okay, so this is a game kind of like D&D, right? If you're not familiar mm-hmm. with these, like Dungeons and Dragons, where you cast a cascading avalanche of pale, swirling ectoplasm matter that erupts from a point you select. All creatures in the area, when the spell is cast, take 6d6 points of bludgeoning damage Whoa. and are entangled for a number of rounds equal to your caster level. Nice. So it's, a, it's an area effect. But the better citation... <laughs> Um, it's also the name of a song by, I'm going to put quotes around a musician. Okay. Called Sudden Infant. (laughs) Okay. Suddenly I was an infant. Um, 
And here is a one sentence um, review of Sudden Infant from The Wire magazine. (laughs) Sudden Infant is one of the most prolific and profound artists working in the border zones where performance and body art meet improvisation and noise. Wow. Uh, We'll link to this song. Okay. It's on Bandcamp. You can listen to it. Oh, excellent. Most of it sounds like somebody gagging and puking. (laughs) It's four minutes of... (laughs) Oh, you got to hear it. Ectoplasmic eruption. It'll be in the show notes. (laughs) Speaking of music and audio, next comes the bizarrety which is bizarrity is that a word it is today the juxtaposition of cyrus on the radio and tom using a radio to find speakers in the woods they're I'm transmitters just, i'm just no they're not just speakers no. they're trans they look like no radios no they're not <laughs> i'm just gonna say as a blanket conversation Let me guess, cover. that's not how it works. None of this works this <laughs> way. <laughs> you don't have a radio station in your kitchen with a table <laughs> that looks like you played cards on it last week with your uncle. But it's Pargeter's Hi-Fi. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the radio. Oh, The okay. radio station. Oh, okay. That ra- the ra- Costin's number one radio station. 86.6. Avoid the the roundabout. There's been another murder. Yeah, that's got to be their whole traffic report. Yeah, there's another murder. Go that way. We have a light from a sub from 1945 that says we're on the air now. On the air. Okay. Then what we can assume, and this is Scooby-Doo, is that Velma, I mean, Tom, Tom, Tom. (laughs) takes a radio into the forest and detunes it. Until he gets... It's a special radio. No, it's not. He doesn't say it's a special It has a flap. What? (laughs) It does. None of this works like this. It has like a flap. Like, it looks almost like a CB radio receiver. Okay. Almost. Okay. Even if it is. It's got an antenna. (laughs) Okay. Even if it is, it wouldn't work like this. But they, they, they... close in on one of the transmitters and Jones has to climb the tree to get it. And in then Barnaby the worst, just walks away. The worst tree climbing shoes ever. So then, okay. And this is where and then we, we <laughs> get into maniac territory yet again. So Jones is up the tree. He scrambles out on a, a branch. Gets the transmitter. Gets the transmitter and then falls. Yeah. Now, this is not the actor. No, it's got to be a stunt. It guy. has to be a stunt. Person. That's why he's faced away from the camera when he falls. And then I spend 10 minutes looking at this guy's butt. <laughs> because there is something. The stunt man has something on his butt? Of color on his butt. On because, his skin? Well, okay. Or his, on his pants? His shirt pulls up. Right, because he's hanging from his hands. His pants sl- slope down. Yeah. And there is either a microphone or a tramp stamp. Why would he have a mic? Like a mic pack. Yeah, but why would he have that? I He's have a no idea. Okay. No idea. Some dark area of darkness that is artificial. 
it's not a normal area of darkness that you might see on someone's butt. There's a name for our episode. <laughs> Areas the, of darkness. The stuntman's ass area of darkness. Artificial area of darkness. So it's clearly a stuntman. Because the, the insurance company would look at that and go, no, no Jones is gonna break not your ankles. doing that. No. You got to know how to fall. Yeah. To, you got to know how to roll so that you don't hurt yourself if you're going to fall from that height. Yes. We get to go back to Pargeter's. We're yes. looking for him. And we find his stereo equipment. He's got a ticket to Florida. He was going to go off with Nesta. And he has the following stereo equipment. He has an amplifier mm-hmm. and EQ, a graphic EQ. Very nice an equalizer. Graphic. Yes. Okay. And a CD player. Okay. None of those are a transmitter. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's just too complicated for you to understand, Mark. Maybe you just don't know. I own all three of those things. (laughs) And you can't host your own radio station from there? No. Oh, okay. Maybe you do know. Well, it doesn't matter because Pargeter's dead in the Iron Maiden. Yes. And his own Iron Maiden. They walk past the Iron Maiden and they're looking around the house and then they hear a sound that sounds like the Iron Maiden closing. And then they run up to the Iron Maiden and there's blood going on. Yeah. Okay. So we're expected that Stanley it just happened. And Stanley and Linton have their fight. Okay. They are yelling and screaming during the reenactment. Mm-hmm. Do you not think Barnaby would have noticed that? He was too busy listening to the radio. Stereo equipment. Wow. It's so awesome. But then they capture Stanley because, of course, he's back doing his Jeffrey impersonation in the woods and yep. he admits to everything. But it's all Tom's fault. Yeah. Nesta's uh, almost dead in the well. It's all Tom's fault. Nesta has a rough time of it she in this does. episode. She was supposed to go to Florida with her man. She was. But instead, she's you in mean a well. sex bomb <laughs> With sex bomb where they could go to Star Trek conventions together. And instead, she's in a well, and her husband is <laughs> in the woods after having killed their friends. <sighs> and Terry Lowther, who doesn't know how to corpse. No. He in the reenactment. He doesn't know how to corpse. And the thing that we're not, there's two things left to cover in this episode. One, Joyce finding the body. Yes. Okay. But then the date that's not a date. Jones and PC Gail Stevens. Yes. Not going on a date. So Jones is like, okay, I got to talk to Gail. She's got the wrong impression here. He does the right thing. Mm-hmm. And goes into a room with the most useless signs ever. They're in the, the locker room of the police station. The first sign says... Oh, did you notice the, please put wet kid in the drying room, all in capital letters. Somebody's left their wet kit around. That can get smelly. But one of the signs says, you drive for a living, but you could kill somebody, uh, kill for some sleep. Tiredness kills, make time for a break. And then think with an exclamation mark. (laughs) I'm like, nobody in this office drives for a living. No, no. Then the other sign, which I thought first was about having a gun at home and your kids could find the gun and do damage. That's a thing that happens. Right. Unsecured guns. Cops have guns at home. Mm -hmm. Right. No, it's about toy guns and cops not thinking that they're real guns. That's a valid sign. But your point is that all the signs in the locker room are aimed at the public and not at police. Yes. But they're in the locker room, which is a police only area. And Gail goes to Lally. No, she doesn't. She goes seductress. She does. 
She basically workplace romances have to, never been a problem for me before. To several workplace romances, they are less than inches away from kissing. Yes, and then she just walks off. Hmm. Which is another like we need to pay attention in the next season to see their relationship. I think this is the end of a potential relationship because she's like, you were that close, but you're not getting it now. Okay. Too bad. You missed your chance. Meanwhile, Joyce finds a body. Why are they wandering around the woods? Because he's going to prove to her, Tom's going to prove to Joyce that the woods aren't haunted by showing her that there are transmitters up in the trees making the sounds. Okay. Why would she not actually just believe him? I don't know. Okay. Because she doesn't, because she's... She's willing to have an open mind and she thinks he has a closed mind. Okay. But then they find Lavenu dead in a tree from parasympathetic rebound. Which is... Death by fear. Death by fear. Which is more Scooby-Doo. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's scared to death. Again, more evidence that he believed his shtick. Yeah. His hair should have been white. Yeah. That would have been better. His face is plenty white. Okay. So we have a mystery at the beginning. We have an Iron Maiden. We have creepy stuff going on with Doolally guys speaking in tongues. Mm-hmm. And we have a psychic who gets killed in the wood because of fright. So this is the Halloween episode, no, right? No, What? It's spring. Wh- what? <laughs> <laughs> These people don't know how to holiday episode. Meanwhile, Stanley's just like... Yeah, they were all going to mess up my thing, so I just killed him one at a time. It's all your fault. And it's all your fault, Tom. Ha 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 What? He's crazy. 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 So, do you want to do horrible movies or best corpse? Let's do horrible movies. Now, we haven't done it in two episodes. We got notice. I'm making up for it. People were like, you haven't done this in two episodes. So, now we're going to do... Four. Excellent. Are you ready? Well, hold on. So we're going to do bad movie. I guess Mark's uh, I wonder if Mark's seen it. This movie is terrible. Ha! I bet Mark's seen it. That movie looks horrible. I bet Mark's seen it. Yes. Okay. I'm going to read the description. Okay. And I'm going to tell you the year. Okay. And I'm going to tell you that Joran Krabbe who plays Cyrus Lavenu is in this movie. I got to tell you, and I haven't told you this, he looks familiar. Oh, he's been in all kinds of things. I know. He usually plays bad guys, though. Yeah. A computer whiz works at a computer terminal in a New York City bank. One day, the computer whiz gets a strange message and breaks the code. Suddenly, finds him or herself, I'm confusing this, in the middle of a dangerous spy business. It's the first instance of computer chat in a movie. This movie, I saw at the theater. It is called Jumpin' Jack Flash. It is. And it has Whoopi Goldberg. Yes. It's not a horrible movie. It's not a great movie, but it's not a horrible movie. When did that come out? 1986. Yeah, I went to see that by myself in the movie theater. And Joran Krab plays the bad guy. Yep. One for one for me. I knew you'd get that one. That was a gift. Okay. The next one is from 1981, and Paul Greenwood, who plays Temple, the antiques dealer in this episode, is in this movie. Okay. Harry Sears manages the California Dolls, a female wrestling tag team who tour America hoping for a chance at winning big time. Harry's also romantically involved with one of them. 
Their fortunes seem secondary to him, particularly when Harry accepts an engagement involving mud wrestling, but then a chance at the big ring match beckons in Reno, Nevada. Is this Kentucky Fried movie? No. Okay. It's worse than that. What is this? It stars Peter Falk. Oh. Otherwise known as Columbo. Columbo. It's called All the Marbles. I've seen a poster for this. I haven't seen this movie. (laughs) There's a lot of half-naked women wrestling in it, and then they just put a plot around it as an excuse to show half-naked ladies wrestling. And this was 81? Mm Mm-hmm. Why did I not see that movie as a 12-year-old boy? I would have been interested in all those things. I don't know. Okay, are you ready? Okay. This is one for one. One, one. Yeah, that that was a win for me. Yep. One for one. Yep. This is a 1974 movie. Okay. Where Paul Greenwood, who plays John Temple, the antique dealer, is also in this movie. Yes. After escaping a death sentence for her hideous crimes, a seemingly rehabilitated woman settles in an isolated farmhouse with her husband, only to ache once more for blood and a crash course in surgery. Is she indeed back to her old self? 74. Mm-hmm. My favorite review of this movie says, this movie really humanizes cannibals. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm sure I've seen this movie, but I can't remember anything about it. It's called Frightmare. Frightmare. No, I, I don't remember that movie. 1974. Woohoo! Nope. That's two for me, one for you. Yep. Okay. This last one is from 2005. Okay. And Anne Lambden, who plays the doctor at the sanatorium, is in this movie. Okay. In the 1970s, a music promoter plucks Siamese twins from obscurity and grooms them into a freakish rock and roll act. A dark tale of sex, strangeness, and rock music. I think this is from a book. I think. 2005. He'd have smoke coming out of his ears, but he's got headphones on. No. <laughs> You're thinking hard. No, I don't know. My favorite review of this movie. Yes. It's called Brothers of the Head. What? The review says Brothers of the Head could more appropriately be called Brothers of the Chest since that's where they're conjoined. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is an obscure movie. I have never even heard of that. You say it's obscure, but it stars Luke Treadway. Who was in Attack the Block? Remember the yeah. the ups, the uppity uh, pot smoker guy in Attack the Block? Yeah. Now here's the weird thing. Okay, I didn't know that Luke Treadway has a twin brother. Okay. Named Harry Treadway. Okay. Who is the bad guy in Mr. Mercedes? They are identical twin brothers, and I dare you to know which one is in what, because oh I gosh. thought it was the same actor in both shows. Yeah. And it's not. Oh, my gosh. This is the only thing they've ever been in together. And you would never know which of them is which. No, they're screwing with us. There's one dude. No, I've seen them together. I don't believe with any different of those haircuts pictures. and everything. With ectoplasm in them. No, they're the Treadway twins, Luke and Harry. Wow. They're both actors. I will find a picture of them together and not only as conjoined twins. No. <laughs> Yeah, and in the movie um, Brothers of the Head, one of them sings and the other one plays guitar. Oh, okay. Wow. Woo! Three for me! Three for you. I thought 2005, you're going to know that one for sure. The amount of movie trailers I watch, I would... I'm stunned that I don't know that Especially one. since it's a music movie. Yeah. And I don't know. And a Siamese twin. <laughs> and you know what? Now I don't know which of the Treadway brothers. Well, they're both in that. Yes. But one of them has gone on to make several other movies that involve music. So one of them, I think, is musical. Ah, uh, okay. But I don't know if it's Luke or Harry. I couldn't <laughs> tell you. 
<laughs> well, he's creepy as all get out in Mr. Mercedes. Oh, yeah. He. Yeah. Whichever one it is. He. It's Harry. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So Jumpin' Jack Flash, All the Marbles, Frightmare, and Brothers of the Head. And I get three points. Three points. For me. Best Corpse. Nice corpse. Well, Terry Lowther doesn't get it because he flutters his eyelashes no. the whole, during the whole reenactment. No. They're burying Michelle Grave yeah. and he can't keep his eyes closed. Yeah. I'm going to go with Cyrus Love anew because I, he's staring at the camera dead. I uh, like him too. He does a good job. Yeah. He does. Though, I have to say that Molly's death, standing in that corner, being shot in the back and then just sliding down that wall, man, that is harsh. Yeah. Harsh. Well, it's all Tom's fault. And she does a great job. She does. She gets Beth's best death, but Lavenue gets best corpse. As she slides down the 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 wall in her own blood, she writes, Tom Barnaby killed me. <laughs> Tom's fault. Okay, after the credits. Okay, after the credits, we have a lot of stuff here. Sarah and Nelms go off together and are happy. I hope they go to Florida. Why would they go to Florida? They because, have nothing to do with the Florida plans. Oh, that's right. That's not. That's right. Nesta's going to Florida. They Nesta's should, not going anywhere. <laughs> no, She's no. in a well. No, no. I hope they live happily ever after. Because mm-hmm. she, more than anybody in the embattered wife category of Midsummer Tropes, yeah. I feel for her. Because she has a taste of happiness and wants happiness. Mm-hmm. There are some embittered wives on Midsummer who don't, who no longer believe they are going to be okay. Well, and Victoria Wicks, who plays Sarah Stone in this episode, does a great job of transforming between the scenes where she's with her husband and where she's with the postman. Yeah, she does. She's, she is a completely different person when the postman's around. Yeah. She's happy. She's got light in her eyes. Yeah. So they go off together. Linton Pargeter is dead. Yeah. Cyrus Lavenue is dead. Yeah. What's the Reverend uh, Brimstone going to do? Uh, be alone, standing, waiting. For her to come back? Yeah. Just he, thinking. I'm sure he's thinking she'll come back, which is not true. I don't know if he'd want her back. Harlot. Harlot. Stanley Goodfellow's definitely going to jail. Yeah. He's killed all the people. John Temple's going to jail. Yeah. He's going to go to jail. Um, Dr. McKay keeps running her sanatorium where they play keep away. Well, I think Nesta might need some help. Yeah, but she first, shouldn't go there. First of all, give the woman a sandwich. Yeah. Okay. Second of all, like her, she was married to a crazy man. She saw her best friends killed. Her best friends who killed after their 10 year old son died. Yeah. She's seen nothing but sadness for the last decade. She needs a big sandwich, some time on her own to heal, and then to go to the Star Trek convention. Yes. In Florida. Yeah. Star Trek con. And that's pretty much everybody, unless you're worried about the talk show host on the radio. There's really not a lot of other people who survived this episode. Again, my conclusion that no one dies in this episode is completely wrong. I think Cyrus Lavenu's um, lackey who carries his chair, his seat thing, goes on to replace him as the UK's number one psychic. He has the hair for it. He does. Yeah. Okay. And that's the end. You might find Midsummer Maniacs on Twitter, Instagram, and email. We also post on Facebook groups for Midsummer Murder and Acorn and the subreddit 
where you can find other maniacs. Yeah. Especially with their wear and their swag. Swag. What's our next episode? Our next episode is season 12, episode one, The Dogleg Murders. Yeah, baby. Grumpy old Grumpman is back. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. All right. Yeah, I like... Uh, so I did golf for a while and I don't mind golfing episodes. So there's, there's all these shows like Murdoch has a golfing episode and all these other shows have golf episodes, which is fine. There's a broken wood, mm-hmm. uh, murders, mysteries, golf episode. There's a Miss Fisher golf yeah. mystery too. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately we have coming up a boxing episode and I hate boxing episodes. <laughs> It's going to be the shortest podcast. It's just going to be me in the corner going, I hate boxing episodes. <laughs> That's all right. I'll, I'll fill it with weird trivia. We'll find something in it. Until then. Bye, maniacs. Bye, maniacs. Johnson's girlfriend doesn't like him. Yes. So he got fired. The Nutter Princess. Princess Nut Nut. Yes, Princess Nut Nut. <laughs> <laughs>